Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. What is an individual? Identity is a process, not an object. All earth life is connected through a common ancestry. Each quote-unquote individual, each organism, cow, beetle, daisy, human, vine, is actually a consortium of transformed and still-living other beings. Hi, this is Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, and the words I just read to you are from a guide sign at the Goodsell Ridge Preserve on Isle Lamont, Vermont. Isle Lamont is also the location of the 56 acres that Krista Scruggs is farming to make Zaffa wines, and the message of this guide sign is strangely appropriate for the conversation you're about to hear with her. Krista has a simple story. She followed her passion for wine growing and winemaking to learn as much as she could. But like the best stories, it's only simple on the surface. Beneath the surface, her life is connected to ancient lands and ancient seas that traveled and flowed around the world to become fertile islands of wild grapevines. And her life is connected to ancient people who were enslaved and taken around the world to build the history that she is now regenerating with counter spells. Krista has the challenge and the opportunity of navigating the wine industry without many, if any, role models who share a similar story. When Krista acquired her property on Isle Lamont, she became the 18th black farmer in the entire state of Vermont and is one of the rare 1.4% of black Americans who own land. Because of this, she has been able to write a story that is unique and uniquely beautiful with new perspectives and deep connections. A big thanks to Krista for indulging my fondness for asking big questions and discussing big ideas and for sharing her inspiring story with us. Enjoy. Hey, I think we're recording. I say recording, yeah. Krista, thank you for doing this. Welcome. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, Adam. (laughs) You are in where now this morning? I am technically um, in Burlington, Vermont at at our office space here. Right. And your land is in Isle Lamont, up near the Canadian border. Correct. Very cold. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so the, I, the way that I wanted to start was just by saying that I really admire what you're building. And I think it's beautiful in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, the way I put it is that it, it seems like you, you followed your passion to be just a wine grower and winemaker. And, and somewhere along the way, it became something much bigger than that or, or deeper than that. And, and I just wanted to see if you could start by, in your own words, telling your story, um, but not the, not the story that we can look up, but the, the essence behind those sort of point by point things, the like, why do you why do you see those things of having happened like what's the animating force in in your life that that brought you to where you are now i like that you stated um that uh deeper um is i i that is that really resonates with me um i was recently doing an interview with someone and they had you know one on my twitter um went back five years um which was uh Five years ago was when I first uh, landed in Texas. Then eventually um, uh, did a stage with uh, La Gargista. And then ultimately that um, led to a job offer that ultimately brought me here to Vermont. Um, At that 
at that point in time after, you know, working in the corporate end and then doing stages domestically and abroad and coming back and sending my attentions and my attentions, you know, were, you know, I, I would like to say innocent in the sense of a, a, a pure and its pursuit of uh, wanting to be a student and, and, and a participator in, in farming and winemaking. Um, you know, at that time, five years ago, the, the word Zafa didn't, didn't have the meaning that it has for me right now. Um, nor would I think of, you know, nor could I have dreamt or thought that it would have the meaning that not only for me, but the people who are involved in everything that it is and, and how, um, it's spread, um, as much as it's spread and what my intentions are, have spread and, and resonated with people outside of me. Um, and so in a way I've grown up as a person and, and, and what, you know, the intent of just wanting to make wine and, and, and farm, you know, which I, I think I can also say motivated because it takes it by ego and self-serving as involved as something that is bigger than me. Um, and thus, um, you mean the farming, the, what do you mean by that? What, what part of that is bigger what, than you? What part of which part? You, you were saying, it, it, I, did I hear you? I, I thought you were saying that being involved in the, in the agriculture, the, the farming part was in inherently sort of being involved in something bigger than you. Is that what Yeah. You, um, you know, yeah. I don't think, you know, when I was, my pers- you know the reasoning behind wanting to first and foremost be a grower and not as a producer um i don't think i understood the magnitude of one first and foremost that you know that's being part of less than two percent um of fellow black americans in this country that have that own farmland and operate farmland in america i, I didn't think i realized that that meant that i would be the 18th farm um, owner out of 7,000 in Vermont. I and and so and what that represents not only for me but everything that <clears throat> my, what that means, especially you know think about you know what we're navigating right now and what the light that is open in regards to having access to your own food that you grow and, and being able to grow your own food even outside of a value added product such as wine. What land ownership means, I don't think I I I I, I I knew I got that at my young ripe age of 31. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So what does it mean to you now? I mean, a responsibility that's, that's bigger than me and that, that I haven't given a once life opportunity to, to not only be example, but also be a catalyst to that, that number 1.6% 10 years, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, you know, um, is 16, 26%, whatever that never may be. It's, it's, it's bigger than what it is. And I'm very, very aware of the presence that I have and that I've created and continue to create in this industry. And what I'm doing is beyond just, you know, me wanting to make wine and farmland. Yeah. That's pretty special. I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Uh, do you get a chance to think about that in the day to day? Like, <laughs> no, I don't. It, and when I do, I break down. Cry, I break down in one in one form or another, and happiness or sadness. It's still very surreal for me. Um, but I don't because I'm still. I mean, I, I, in many ways, I just be, begin. I think my chance has barely started. You know, now. Um, yeah. Contrary, and when, when you see my journey, I think people, you know, the the, the journey up to this point, or things people don't know. Um, it was all for this moment to get started. This is now the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that <laughs> I, I mean, so much. I, I feel like what it seems like so much has happened for you, especially in this past year, that it's like you've arrived. But like you said, it's you know, there's there to to start your journey, you had to take a journey, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's been a hell of a year. I mean, in so many ways, and we just went through a, a hell of a January, and uh, at least politically speaking, and and I guess from the pandemic side as well. Like here in here in California, it's been pretty pretty fraught. Um, but how? So how does one, you know, talk about wine and things of? when there's so much else going on, like where does it fit into your world? How do you see it as fitting into these times uh, when there's so many really like life and death and, and uh, you know, things that will affect people for the rest of, you know, our lives at least. You know, I just like anything else prior, you know, of course this is the first time our, our generation is experiencing a pandemic, but um, life and death, death is always and will always be around us. Um, mm-hmm. The wine has its purpose in regards to pleasure. I think how we think about it and its importance, and and then also what what is what does it bring to society from from first how it's made, and then thus what is the who are particip- who's participating it in, in, in it to get to that point that you're drinking it, and what is it, and what are you getting from it? And I think that if you're able to have honest conversation with yourself, and 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 and, and see and see the good in it, and then I, it serves a purpose. But and I, I really think that just and then there's there's also parts of this things of this year this year um, that that I think people are now choosing, you know, it's, sometimes I feel contrived at times, but choosing to pay attention to, um, in regards to systemic issues. And that's something that I've always, you know, since the day I was born had to deal with. So there's not much that changed for me there. Um, just, um, just more attention given. To yeah. It. And so, yeah. um, I don't think my, my view on wine has, and my relationship with it has changed. Um, due to the fact that we're in a pandemic and or the systemic issues that are now being that people are now choosing to pay attention to or 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 or, or sit with um but if anything um i think it just goes back to what i stated before just the how important it is and how and I, how lucky i am that that I, I am able to to have access to land and and that it's times like this is that I think we are reminded how have control of 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 how you grow your food how you, and what you put in your body is and, and having space to just be um, when a lot of people 
who are, you know, dying from this pandemic is due to not having space or cannot, you know, afford to not work. Um, that, if anything, is this was resonated me the most. Yeah, I, I I love that. I mean, I yeah, I I can't agree more in terms of the importance of how how the importance of these things has been underlined in this past year, and as, in terms of food production and you know the need our health just the the way that health is connected to land and how we treat it and how we're using it and and how we're living in it um you i i I, this is something that i'm kind of still toying with but i been loving the idea lately about how culture is this root of viticulture and agriculture and and what that means like how we're participating in really not just not just a uh, you know food production or or wine production but we're participating in a in a ongoing like you said a bigger thing this cultural thing that out out lives us and that creates the world that people see and live in and interact with and i you know i think about the you know, we know from our knowledge of French viticulture and things like that, how that creates a whole lifestyle for the people that are involved in it. And and I think we're at this great point, and I don't know if, you know, maybe you want to talk about this, to where we are in, in history in terms of seeing how not thinking about it from a cultural standpoint, only thinking of it as a business investment has led us to where we are and now we're kind of maybe needing to, or not maybe, but definitely needing to reevaluate that and think about where we're taking this culture, the viticulture and the agriculture. Did I, did I set you up for <laughs> well enough there? No, absolutely. And I think that just, you know, once again, like I, I think that this stems from when we look at, you know, restaurant workers from basically look about, you know, how restaurant workers are affected by this pandemic and then this shining on that, shining on that for food, you know, what is considered, uh, what is the term uh, essential worker? And that uh, I don't think that people, when, when, when thinking about even drinking a bottle of wine or going out to, to restaurants and realizing that first and foremost, that how that food and, or how that bottle of wine got to your bottle, that, that there's a farmers and usually, um, underpaid, not that the landowner grower people, not the landowner underpaid people who are the reason why that you're able to, um, have the bottle of wine. And they're the ones who are the true viticulturists who there's an erasure about their role in that food chain. Um, and, but then we're romantic, it's been romanticized because of our looking over, you know, over, over the, over the ocean. And then even, you know, think about California and its peak and growth of, the romanticism of wine, but not talking about the romanticism begins first and foremost in the vineyard and where and the farming of it. You, you mentioned that, I mean, you said, which I, I really liked, um, that you, you just wanted to be a student of wine and winemaking, that that was kind of what you were into. I, I love that attitude and I love that approach. And I I wonder what, what have you learned in the past year about wine and winemaking? That I don't know shit. <laughs> 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 in what way don't you know shit <laughs> um <laughs> uh that and i don't know shit and um 
truly, 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 um, you know, as frankly, as, as Zafa as a business is, is growing, um, you know, I have, I've had, I had, I've had to, will continue to make choices of, of my role in our growth and, and, and where I am most, what, what I feel is where I'm most valued and, and most useful. And, um, and it's definitely as a student, I want to don't know shit. Um, and, and as I think most importantly, something has been very, very easier than I thought. Um, but having to define and make choices of where, um, where am I most useful and where can I step back and then where can I, how can I be a part of this company still and it grow in the way that I, that I vision it to, um, what still, but still has its heart, my heart in it. And, um, and honestly, it's, it's, I think possibly people will be possibly be surprised because my, you know, my pursuit of land ownership and wanting to be a grower and farmer and, you know, my vision within all the, the parcels that we, that we lease. And then even with, with, with Isle Lamont on board now, um, because I can't be out there every day, I think it would be an injustice for me to actually put that energy out there that I can't commit a hundred percent wherein I have p- team members and people whose heart and souls in it, I could be out there every day in a way that I was able to, to be out there, in, you know, prior to the last year and a half. Um, and, and that the, what I learned is that the importance of also my energy or my heart is in, in the winemaking and that I can teach and I could tell and I'm all about tran- 100% transparency and, and open source in regards to, you know, even on my tech sheets, I'll walk you through every step of the process of how I made that wine and, I, and, 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 but because I'm mean and everything I'm doing is nothing new in regards to fermentation but no one can replace me in that wine. And, and then the, 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 the importance of the hand of the winemaker and those little decisions that cannot be replicated or duplicated. It's something that I'm learning more and more. And I think it just, it's, and it's slowly becoming, making me a better winemaker, making me more insecure in a good way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and, and thus, not and never questioning myself, but testing myself um, in a way that I've been surprised by. I hope that answers that question. Yeah. I, so it sounds like part of it is, if I'm right, it sounds like you're saying you're sort of learning how to be a, a leader rather than do it all yourself. Exactly. Because um, there's a lot of mistakes that were made, you know, even in the tw- in like in the tw- 2019 vintage that I, I it, and I think is a not a thing I know is a reflection of things I chose not to let go of or things that I didn't that I could have been a better leader and delegated and and utilized myself more had I not held on to something so tightly mm, yeah and I mean look if if you're like me I mean part of I think the the brain pattern that is attracted to winemaking is super controlling anal retentive a little bit, right. uh, at least <laughs> to some degree. You right. Care about it. You care about the details. Um, 
and it's yeah it's hard to and that's yeah that's what i learned is like is that that is not that is not you know just like like you know treating a lover in that way that's not going to will anything good i know at all being a controlling obsessive lover (laughs) treating wine now you know (laughs) thinking of wine in that same that same way yes uh yep totally that is a that is a great lesson to learn (laughs) in all (laughs) in all parts of life (laughs) i want to ask you 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 brought this up but zafa uh has, has come to mean more to you what what does it mean like what what does it mean literally and and how does that play into the meaning that it literally what it means um is counterspell it's a it's a literary reference to the book uh the brief wondrous life of oscar Wilde by gino diaz and the theme mm-hmm. of the book revolves around fuku and zafa fuku means spell and as the the book tells it and as juno tells it um junior the, the main character tells it is it's the curse that chris Columbus brought over to the americas um, and, and the only way to overcome a fuku is with a zafa, um, which is a counter spell. Um, and so I, I really do think that, you know, I, I truly do think that when I, 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 I love the idea of what that meant in theory, but honestly, I didn't think that, you know, five years later, at the point in time, four years later, when I came with the name Zafa, that I would actually ha- actually have access to land, um, which is the embodiment, especially as a Black America, of the embodiment of a, of a counterspell in, in, in this country, um, being in my ancestors were slaves. Um, mm. And I, yeah, and so it's everything that my vision, you know, coming to to fruition in its own way. And, and you know, they say, be careful what you wish for. and and usually I think people say that in a negative connotation, but I, I think I'm looking at it to say that. And, you know, it's in the sense that be careful you wish for, you know, you have a greater responsibility, um, yeah. which is, you know, cool. has pushed me and, and, and deeper in this meeting. And I think it's been a theme for me this last year, particularly is, you know, I've been pushed to step up to the plate of being a, a and grow and evolve um, to being a better leader. I can't say how, that much that just touched me because I mean, I think so much of where we are as an American culture is about wishing with care, you know, Mm -hmm. like what, what do we want really? And let's really be thoughtful about it. Let's, let's, it's, is it, is materialism really the end all be all is like, you know, I I mean, I I think of America as business above all else, Uh, you know, the business bottom line above all else. And, and, and there's so many sacrifices and compromises that have been made in service of that end. And I think like we're just at that point where we have to be more thoughtful about that. Like yeah. we have to wish with wish for different things because we've taken the time to think about it and be careful about our wishes and, and know that there are more important things in life. And I made a, you know, explicit choice to participate. You know, I, I'm not going to wrap a bow, tie around it. I am participating in capitalism, but there's, that could be acknowledged with, and, and that can be acknowledged, but still with the pursuit of shaping it and how that, that relationship that I and Zoff and my business has with it. No, that's the thing. Like we, we are participating in it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for explaining Zafa too. That's uh, 
that I, that's that is profound. I love that. I um, are you? I want to get into some of the the specifics of Zafa and, and what you're doing with your wines and your viticulture. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Alamot and Vermont in general. You, you know, it's. I think your high today is in the twenties, which you have <laughs> said is is lovely it. for yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> balmy almost. <laughs> um, <laughs> t-shirt weather. So. What's it like there? Like, I, I mean, in terms, obviously, like the, I'm guessing having your vineyard on an island in a large lake has that lake influence effect. So you you get the moderating influence and that the benefits that come from that in terms of hopefully like less chance of frost damage, a little more, uh, less, I don't know, maybe you should describe rather than me guessing at it, but go for it. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I previously had managed a vineyard um, on another island, um, Grant Isle, and in 2018, and that I didn't even, and up to that point, I did not know um, that that um, about the islands, and and the oldest vineyard in Vermont was actually uh, Snow Farm was planted in um, South Hero, um, and. After spending time, you know, in 2018, managing a vineyard out there and, and experiencing the warming effect and also, of course, the soil um, that's there compared to, you know, granted the soils throughout Vermont are ideal, um, but particularly the 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 silty loam um, that is in in on the islands and particularly the site that I that I chose um, and, and 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 massive limestone as well. Um Coupled with the fact that um, Isle Lamont, you know, in the 1800s, from 1801, I believe, to 1831, um, the, the name was changed to Vineyard, um, and it's speculated due to the amount of wild wines, which were which has been um, documented but not disputed, were the first sites of wild wines that were found in Vermont. Um, what do you mean by wild wines? Like they were these just native, this is riparia, right? Native riparia and brusca vines that are growing. So whatever had, whatever had sprung up naturally. Yeah, not naturally. And yeah. And I'm sure there's different, even strange outside of the riparia lambrusca um, that is growing, that it is there. Yeah, so that. even the property that the Isle of property um, around the bluff, right on, on, right on the, on the water, there's the, the whole wall is covered with, with, with vines and all in the back and there's 56 acres and um part of that acreage um it used to be an orchard back there because orchard back there and there's all these so there's these cult the mixture of cultivated and wild apple trees that of course seeded themselves from the other apples that were fall and there was there's also there's also cows there and then within those apple trees and pears trees there's also wild vines growing so um, in addition, Alamont sits on um, um, the Chazoo Reef, which traveled from Zimbabwe uh, to that area about 450 million years ago, which is known to be one of the most um, biodiverse um, uh, uh, artifacts in the history of the world. So there's all these variables. That's <laughs> um, amazing. There exactly. and then just I think I mean first and foremost if something is growing on its own without humans intervening and out cultivating I think that's a sign that this is a place to plant vines. Well, you, 
I hope you understand the depth of the both the human and geological history that you're working with there. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's it is it's it's something that I still I'm still dumbfounded by, and and if anything, I'm just lucky because it's like a it couldn't have it's a I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity um, to be able to to be lucky enough to tend to that land and 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 tell its story and and. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, uh, I often wish that I had more than one life, Yeah, you know, even simultaneously, mm. <laughs> I could live in different places and be different people and speak different languages. Um, do you know the Good Soul Ridge Preserve? No, I don't. Oh, it's, I, I, I did a, I just, you know, internet searched for Alamot and it came up as, as something on there and the whole thing thing uh actually there's a little there's a picture of it that has a like a black hand holding a dandelion you know with the sun and the the like the barn in the background in the picture and i was like i wonder if that was krista that posted that picture Um, old sun ridge reserve a good soul good soul yeah and it's apparently on and it's uh they have all these uh, like crazy ancient um, fossils. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Fossils that are from that era that you're talking about. The uh, And it's like, what do they call it? The I'm trying to look for it. Anyway, the there's, <laughs> I just tripped on it because it, it was all these little signs that they have that they just put up, you know, that are like when you walk around on any little, place like that that's like a little state park or whatever right, right, right. like what is this and, what, and it's like it's asking the question some of the questions they ask what is a what is an individual Holy what is God, a plan I didn't know that and it's like the answers that they give are amazing <laughs> like i was like this is mind-blowing stuff like <laughs> like you don't i i'm i'm somebody who you know did the copy for this was just brilliant because it's like talking about what are fun- fungi what what are plants what are animals what are humans and it's like they, these are deep questions people and the answers are amazing and some of it ties directly into winemaking that you know what we're finding out now just about like how i mean literally it says identity is a process not an object that's on the wow. sign wow. on one of these little park signs Wow. I was like, this is incredible. Wow. Um, and it, it's talking about like this, these tens of trillion, like a trillion bacteria and, and tens of millions of protists make up this one little, uh, the body of a termite, which is, lives in a super organism cell. Like the, the actual hive of termites is considered an individual because they all participate in one process. You know, they're all like without the other, they're all part of the same process. And right. then within each, within each termite, there are trillions of little processes, little, you know, bacteria, microbial processes happening. It's just fascinating. And I know we're, we're learning about that with the soil and everything else exactly. that's going on. Exactly. But I just, <laughs> it was just funny because I was just, looking into where you lived and i was like this is amazing i'm now one after this i'm actually going to look that up now myself yeah no it's it's worth checking out and then um just randomly i thought of this because we were talking about death and wine have you read the rubaiyat of omar Khayyam? i have not 
I will. I'll send you a copy. Um, yeah, it's a. It's it's the the Rubaiyat are these sort of quatrains, so four line um, sort of stanzas, and each one can be. It's almost like a haiku, like it can be its own sort of standalone poem. But the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam have sort of, you know, it's like a whole bunch of them compiled into a book that sort of tells a story, and winemaking and wine is the theme and, and as, as is mortality. And, uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's ancient. It's from ancient Persia. Um, and it's, it's lovely. Like it's, uh, there's some great stuff in it. You probably would recognize there's, if you've ever heard the quote, like a, a, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine and thou, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, fr- that's from that. Got it. Got um, it. And anyway, thought of that random, <laughs> uh, I want to talk more about your viticulture and hybrids since you brought those up, uh, hybrids and, and wild. So you have wild things growing, you're planting hybrids. Are you using, I know you use the sort of feral apple trees that you've used feral apple trees for co-ferments. Are you using, are you going to throw in some bunches of wild grapes to into a batch and see what happens as well? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, if anything, that would make jam out of it. I'm sure um, once I'm living out there and my own curiosity will get the best of me, I'm sure I would, I, I wouldn't doubt it that I would, I wouldn't doubt if I would try to do some kind of micro fermentation just out of curiosity. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, because there's, probably there's not so many of them growing out there and I'm I probably get a carboy's worth. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just out of curiosity and, to see. Yeah. And, and I mean, not to add more pressure to you, but like, <laughs> not, not that you don't already have the weight of generations on your shoulders, but <laughs> I feel like the you are at the, you know, at the forefront of creating the future of, of what is real American wine. I mean, we've, you know, we've imported vinifera from Europe and we've, we've done pretty good with those, but I, I don't think when we talk about terroir, when we talk about, you know, American wine, I, I don't think it, unless, until you start asking the questions about these native grapes and the hybrids that have been made from them, like, I, I'm curious what you think about that and where you, where you feel you fit I just think it's so fascinating or, that, you know, a common, you know, particularly American consumer who were to have a wine from Italy um, would not realize that unless it's, you know, Barolo, uh, Chianti, that they're most of what they're drinking is, a, is it would be a, a, a native grape to Italy. Italy has over 3,000 native grapes there. And it is right. the emphasis on that relationship with America, like that people, consumers have with America and the glorification of Vinifera. Um, right. And I think, you know, it's, of course, it's coupled in how we navigate society, um, theory, implicit bias, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all, it's all a part of that and how we consume anything that, is, that we don't know. Um, I understand that I think it makes sense why up to this point, not now, but I think the way that um, one giving access to having the have a diversity in thought and thought is of course going to create diversity and product. And so the more, and so it's, it shouldn't be surprising that to having someone like me, a part of the industry creating that, it, it, that I would be creating something that is not part, that is not that part of the norm. And that's the beauty of having diverse in thought um, and part of participating of a bigger whole. So 
um, I think is a sign of us evolving and growing. Um, and, and, uh, I think that we underestimate what, you know, average wine drinker actually will think. I think that's a big, big, big part of it, of that the consumer's palate is shaped around how we put things on a pedestal. And I think the more that we, that we take the time to, to educate and talk to particular American palates about different varietals and varieties and, 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 and shaped and, and, and farming and connecting it and connecting to them in the way that they understand food from a shopping at Whole Foods. I think that we're about to have a lot, a lot of fun and, you know, who yeah. doesn't want to have more options of things to consume and bringing pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And, and, I mean, I think you share the sense that I do that we're really at just the beginning of figuring all this out. Like, exactly. we, you, know, uh, you know, a couple hundred years from now, some, you know, the grapes that we think about now will be the ancestors of what's actually, you know, been, de- been determined to work better, grow best in, in the areas where we're working and things right. like that. I mean, like, look at like, you know, the work that Randall Graham continues to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that which I'm excited about, we'll all be dead and gone before we see what that comes like turns out to be. But I can't fucking wait. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. There's there's some great things happening. Yeah, Randall's doing some great stuff. I mean, even uh, you know, Sun the uh, Raj Parr and mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. his team are doing stuff from seeds, and exactly. you know, Mimi Castile is doing that. And yeah, I, I was going to say Mimi as know, well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and there's you know. I know apples are being experimented with in New York and Vermont as well in the mm-hmm. same kind of way. Um, it's really exciting. Yeah. Cause we're finally, finally getting over our prejudices uh, yeah. in those ways to be able to embrace new things that are different and, and realize, Oh wait, there's like untapped wells here that just, you it's know, bizarre the amount of fear that you know, how long it took us this long to get to this point because yeah. meeting <laughs> fear, the fear of having options yeah yep (laughs) it's true well so i'm curious about farming in vermont and why don't we talk about uh let's start with japanese beetles Hmm. (laughs) Uh, what are the realities there in terms of viticulture like what is your growing season like how short is it um this you know that's funny you ask because this last year um 2020 vintage was one for the ages um we were, harvest came, it was shortened by two weeks. So typically um, we'll start pruning. Um, um, typically actually up until uh, prior to this last, this year, we didn't start pruning until January. We started pruning in December. Um, we'll be done. We have five My vines still had leaves in December. Hmm? <laughs> My vine still had green leaves. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. There was snow on the ground, you know. Um, my team actually be providing some snowshoes to my team tomorrow. Um, oh my god! <laughs> there, you know, we'll be done with all of our sites from you know, Isle of Mott and everything between to New Hampshire um, uh, by 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 April. By hopefully by the first week of April, and then we go into the growing season, um, April through about that the well up until last year i think it's gonna last year is gonna be i think it's gonna we're i i I assume we're gonna fall suit um until second week of august typically um that's harvest we started harvest the last week of august last year and typically harvest doesn't start until the second week of september is this Uh, because it was really hot or because it was hot it was hot 
Um, and you know, another thing that people don't realize is that, uh, why, you know, why, whether it be, you know, at one point in time, Vermont and New York were the largest producers of hops in America, um, before going to the Pacific Northwest and, and even farming, you know, think about farming, farming organically in general in this region, why it's so so difficult is because of the rain and humidity that we get during a growing season will hit 75, 80 degrees and get it, it will get rain. Um, we had a very, very, from a growing, from a disease mitigation perspective, it was hot and dry and that was awesome. However, we, our growing season was cut short and typically our, this led into another issue. Um, you know, culturally here in the state, um, from the growers here, no one's, it's not part of the norm to net out here. Um, mostly by the time when, when the sugar, when the sugar is hitting, um, when the the sugar is hitting the birds have already, the the, the birds that we have most issues with have already migrated this year. The birds were still here because of the time of harvest. And we had our, most of us had our ideal, or dill bricks, the birds are still here. They realize, fuck, oh. you know, there's, there's sugar, you know, they, you know, they're just pecking. They're not even, they just want it for the liquid. And I'll speak for myself, but we lost out of, um, one of our site, we lost 90% of our crop and another site we lost, um, at least 40% of the crop. Um, oh, and you know, I, I had not, and this is where me growing and, and evolving and as, as a grower too, and my, you know, ideologies, you know, I think it's your privilege to have ideologies that you can live off of, <laughs> <laughs> right? you know, um, and, you know, that. me, you know, the, and where I stand in regards to netting um, and, you know, it takes time to, to integrate a system um, that is working cohesively with, with the fauna and flora to be in balance that, you, you know, to say, I'm not, I won't need to, 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 to bird net and then, you know, pray for the best. Um, and so now, you know, I have to make a decision that, you know, I can't afford to, to lose that tonnage this year. And as we could still practice and implement ways and those particular sites to, to, to have balance with, between the, with the birds and, and with their crops. Um, I, I had to put this ideologies, ideologies aside and protect my fruit. Um, something that I think I was very naive about prior and that now, um, you know, it was a, I had teammates that were literally crying and, um, you know, as a reminded them that nature is unforgiving. <laughs> And they don't, you know, and like, and it's us finding that balance of knowing that nature is going to do what they got to do. And how do we respect that while, you know, taking responsibility that we're, we're the invasive ones right now. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, of, of all the things that you could do, netting seems you know, probably lowest intervention to, you know, yeah. lowest harm that you could do to, to. And the beauty is like with the Isle of Mont side, I think, you know, we just, we're going to go into we'll be in second leaf this year. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, when, when that, when that side is fully producing and, you know, the, the fact that I chose location in the water and the amount of predatory birds um, that are mm-hmm. around that, you know, 
we we might be dealing with other issues, but I'm like, that's awesome. I'm quite, you know, I have to, I'm not going to worry about netting there. Um, oh, interesting. Got it. Yeah. That's what honestly went through my mind. So like just in the summer, I was seeing all the predators flying around like there's, that's my protection. And cause, and also yeah. all these birds want is water anyway. And right, uh, right. so that, and that's distraction. Right. And I'm sure for that, I'm going to get, there's going to be some other bullshit I'm going to have to deal with. But <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> no good deals on punished. So they say. <laughs> that's funny. So, and it also sounds like part of it could just be a, a decision based on the ripening of the grapes too. Like if you know you're going to, if you have the right kind of vintage where you can harvest late, the birds will most likely be gone and maybe leave the nets off that year. Exactly. So that you're learning the, learning the land a little better as well and learn. And I mean, I think that it's funny. It's one of the, not funny, but it's one of the results of climate change that you can see that you're, you're having to make these decisions. Exactly. Exactly. uh, And so it's maybe part of the positive of being as far north as with the cold winters, it does keep bug populations in check, but I know that you still have a pretty severe bug population. Oh, you're um, you talking about Japanese beetles. I like, yeah, yeah. I right. went to the trauma of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Like, I mean, I grew up with those two in Pennsylvania and yeah. it was like, you know, there's all kinds of obviously horrible things that you can spray to st- do that. But what do you do? I mean, I, it's funny because I, I went and I was talking to somebody about growing a vineyard there. I was just sort of like free consulting about what they could do. And he was like, we tried planting vines and they were just eaten. Like every leaf on them just was gone. Like <laughs> they yeah. were just, and, and, you know, it has to do partly with where it is. I know that, you know, they live in grass or they plant their larvae in grass. So if you have sort of like, cow pastures and meadows and things like that you're in trouble because there there's going to be a large beetle population but exactly. if you're in a forested area you might have less pressure so but what so what happened and what do you what do you do as an organic grower biodynamic grower so it's funny because my you know the first was supposed to be my first vintage in vermont and then ended up being my first only my first vintage in texas which 2017 um was lost because of a site due to Japanese beetles. Now out of all of New Hampshire, not an issue in New Hampshire side that we just, that we just started leasing as a last year, but we're we're purchasing fruit from it prior. Japanese beetles are not an issue at all. And with Huntington and North, actually Northfield and, 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 and Warren, all, all the three other, sites they and and particularly in in huntington were very 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 vigorous very 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 vigorous canopy we see them and we and we feel that 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 site is 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 closest to being in balance as can be at this moment um we treat the japanese beetles as our you know they're doing our leaf pulling for us um right and yeah. so we, I actually have been, you know, lucky to this point with the sites that we are currently, that we have earlier built right now, the Japanese beetles have been actually helped, has helped us. And um, in, in the sense of, of, of honestly leaf pulling, which we have to do a lot, you know, big part right. of our time in the growing season um, is, is canopy management because dealing, especially with dealing with, as I was speaking before, how humid it can get um, with, the, with the rain and how, the heat and is keeping up with the airflow um, at those sites. And so they've actually, for right now, have 
worked with us. Um, That's great. Yeah. And, 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 and how we do, and how we help with deterring them is that we do use Kaylin clay with all of our, we spray, regards to our spray, we, we do mixes of, I, I don't do copper hundred percent, just sulfur, um, minimal sulfur and mixed with um, nettle and horsetail tea. And we add in Kaylin clay. And so the, the beetles themselves, when they're when not when they're sit, standing on they don't like it on their feet um oh yeah okay. and so um that has helped but i yeah right as of right now in the last particularly the last two growing seasons um the 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 japanese beetles have been our friend nice I, that's a cool sort of story (laughs) i know that's not the case for everyone um yeah and i'm assuming you know i don't and i I am curious of of um you know especially like you know this the spirit of this last growing season with with, with climate change of if that will change um in regards to uh the past oh sorry in regards to the past that we have on our side so it's it the last yeah, the last year and the last few years have been, it was more dry last year. Our biggest issue here, I would say, farming organically here, it's still remains for me and so to do with, but I think it's changing, it's going to be changing, um, is this the, is, is fighting the, the rain and humidity and so canopy management. Like a downy and powdery and black metal. Yeah, exactly. Black yeah. yeah. But it's our biggest, our biggest issue is, is, and is, yeah, powder. It, particularly for me in our sites has been downy and black rot, and and yeah. and that's the importance of having you know boots on the ground every day. And and in all of our sites, those diseases they're already there; they're not going to go anywhere. And so now our you know our growing season is is, is focused on mitigation because we're not going right. to be able to eradicate it. Um, right. So we and so our spray program revolves around sulfur and then regalia, which is a bio fungicide utilizing yeah. um not weed um yes yeah and we I, do we spray every other week um rotating the two um but it's you know, I, even that is just mostly it's just having that our disease mitigation is based off of like leaf pulling and getting those disease leaves out of there and just walking walking every day every day every day every day every day and yeah. being on top of you know not spraying on a schedule, but spraying, if we, we, we are going to spray the regalia or sulfur, it's revolving around when the last rain is. So it's mostly just being at mercy mother nature. And if it's dry, then making that call to focusing our time and spraying, but just actually just going through and continuing with the, the canopy management to keep an airflow to stop from um, the disease from spreading. Cause like right. I said, we I have accepted you're going to lose, you know, I'm okay with losing one, one of 5% of a crop by farming the way that we're farming. We don't use tractors in aisle at all. Um, and so granted, but I am looking for it and I did put a deposit down for the Monarch tractor that I do want. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so our time, I would rather spend our time instead of, you know, um, and we, we do, and we do use backpack spray spray too. So we're a little bit, we get to be a little bit more focused um, and more right. intentional when we're spraying. Um, but ideally if we're, if, we're, if it's dry, like I, it, we only did three sprays last year. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that's really great. It was so dry. There was no need. Like the we were able to keep get particularly the 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 downy, sorry, the powdery and black rot under control. And I just feel if there's 
there's no threat of it spreading um, due to having a weather system come through, then I think it's it's not necessary to to, to spray, just to spray. I, I rather, like I said, right. focus on managing the canopy and keeping airflow going. That's great. I, a couple of things came up. I, I don't know if you know Dr. Pam Marone. I don't. But, uh, I interviewed her on one of the episodes for the Organic Wine Podcast, and she's the uh, she, she created the business that made Regalia. Oh um, wow! I've listened to that podcast. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, she's fantastic. That is so she's cool. Fantastic. I've like I haven't talked to many producers that is working with Regalia. I mean, it's it's not one. I know it's not that. You know, this is a conversation in regards to costs versus you know, and, but I it's not the cheapest, but I think it's it's very effective. And if anything, right. it's it over. You know, it's thus the bottom line is still protected in that way. If that makes sense. So, um, I yeah. I. I not to say I love a, a non-synthetic <laughs> pesticide, but I do love Rebellia. <laughs> yeah, no, no, the bios are great. I mean, yeah. she has amazing stories about the things that they're finding. I mean, they look, they basically are sort of like the way that pharmaceuticals go to the rainforest and, you know, f- try to find obscure leaves and things that are mm-hmm. there. Like she goes all around the planet digging up soils from various places and try and isolating amazing microbes in the soil that can work for to benefit you know in viticulture it's amazing i'm going to listen to that podcast and hopefully like possibly reach out to her like that is, that is she's so a, cool. now she spends a lot of time mentoring and fostering especially female business owners who are getting into biologicals and things like that so you you should definitely i'm definitely going to yeah she's she's a really cool person i i can't recommend her enough um the other thing I was saying, I have an untested theory about Japanese beetles that chickens could be a good mitigation strategy. I've heard of that. Yeah. Because the way they dig, and exactly, I mean, we have chickens here exactly. in our backyard and like they dig the whole yard up basically. Like they're, I was like, I always think it's funny. This is just a total aside, but our chickens have enough, more than enough space because we have five chickens in our backyard and a pretty big backyard area for them. So like we, we made it so that they could technically be pasture raised. I think you need 108 square feet her bird to be pasture to you know to qualify for pasture raised mm-hmm. and it just gives you like the reality check of like 108 square feet for a chicken is nothing like, they <laughs> they have it looks like a tilled field right, right? <laughs> you know it's just five chickens they like dig all day long there is no grass there's nothing there other than the trees and like permanent shrubs like rosemary so that they won't eat it's crazy but yeah i always thought that they might help the beetle larva you know if you get them into the vineyard and the you know surrounding areas at the right time of year they just eat all the larva dig everything up and eat all the larva no absolutely i have heard that as well um and then shoot the last thing that you said and i've totally forgot it but i'm gonna move on anyway you know i i you put so much care and attention into the vineyard and I've noticed this too. I mean, that's like our big focus too, is making that connection for people from the the glass to the vineyard. And the thing that's been frustrating me lately is more and more I'm finding people who go into a wine shop and they care so much about whether sulfites have been added to their wine and, and they don't even ask about the farming. And... <laughs> and to yeah. me, that's just absurd. If you're looking for purity in terms of winemaking and you don't care about what happened in the vineyard, um, I just feel like your priorities are off. And I'm wondering, you know, how do we how do we get people to care about what's actually important in this hierarchy of wine I, I'm, making? I'm hoping um, that 
you know, that, that was something that really, really graded, graded at me. And, you know, um, just hearing conversations about, you know, sulfur and granted, I am, you know, I don't, I'm zero, zero. Um, yeah. And are you a hundred percent sparkling? Yeah. hundred percent sparkling. So that allows me, you know, I find, yeah, you get I the, find the copper in, you know, and CO2. So yeah, you get the CO2 protection. So that's exactly. Nice. Um, yeah. and, and so that might shape, you know, I might be at, at a place that's, you know, a, a privilege in that sense that like, because of the, the, the fact that I'm hundred percent sparkling and I don't, I'm not concerned, but also, you know, even with, you know, um, co-sellers which is the share level of a shaxbury it it's based off you know shaxbury's original you know where they started off as doing a hunt, like native yeast and small badge and married married with zafa's um ideals and making something that's accessible and and still carrying on of of not utilizing sulfur there um and but knowing that it's particularly you know if co-sellers expands and grows and we're able to you know introduce people you know and educate people that wine is made from and not just grapes and array of fruit and that means for stabilization you know we have to add sulfur is do i is that am i going to feel like i'm um uh turning my back on my ideals no because how i compensate for that and the fact that i one first and foremost we pay our employees a livable wage and they're taken yeah. care of. So those are the people who are frontline. That's number one yeah. people should care about. And then yeah. two, you know, and that's coupled with, you know, what are those frontline people? What are they doing? They're the ones who are doing the farming, organically farming. That's what the, that's the food that is then being, you know, fermented. Um, and I think that until consumers will start caring about that, when the wine industry starts putting, you know, the winemaker on a pedestal. Yeah, I love that. I, I've I've talked a lot about that. About you know, it's like we we. I mean, at least in inside the industry, we know the names of you know. You and I probably could list twenty different winemakers mm-hmm. that we know, and how many vineyard managers could we list? Exactly. You know, exactly. Like, yeah, it's it's true. It's and it, being honest about it too. Like, there's no way I'm not the only. I'm not the only. You know producer who is in business this business is growing and that you know i will say out loud hey i actually don't do that anymore i'm not in the vineyard every day anymore yeah yeah and not and i feel like that thing being you know, like not feeling that's you know, and like and that and actually meaning that when you say that you're actually giving value to your team you're giving also, right. you're educating people that one person cannot do it it's not physically possible and so then it forces people to see the whole picture yeah Yep. I love that. And I want to continue talking with you, but I'm afraid I should let you go. <laughs> um, let me see. Is What's the best way for people to learn more and try your stuff? And, you know, what, what's the deal? Um, so it's awfulwines.com. You can see, you know, Instagram as always. We haven't been so active, even, you know, during this last harvest, you know, I, I'm and myself even stepping away from social media. Um, and we will be revamping up, but it won't be me controlling it. But of course, Instagram nice. is the best way uh, to stay up to date. But even more, I would say, um, just signing up for our newsletter. Um, we have 
that is where we give actually up like true in-depth updates of what's going on. Um, not just from Facebook, but actually what's happening um, in the vineyard. And and, with, and you also get to know when we are releasing new, new wines. Um, and so, yeah, we're hoping to have some new stuff out. Um, we still have a lot of wine from 2019 um, yet to be released. And so hoping wines start coming out again in April. Okay. Exciting. That's awfulwines.com. Excellent. Okay, Zava Wines, plural wines. Uh, yeah, com. correct. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Krista. This has been a real pleasure, and I love what you're doing, and I am really honored to be able to to bring more attention to it. It's been lovely. Thank you, Adam. Really I can't wait to see what happens with you. <laughs> thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Krista Scruggs as much as I did. In the last year, Krista has gotten a lot of attention, both positive and critical, and I think it's important to remember that it isn't easy to do the work that she's doing. At the end of the day, she's running a small production handcrafted winery, and I can tell you firsthand that it's an extremely tough business for anyone. And she's grounding that work in stewardship of the land and compassion and equity for her employees. These are values that I love to promote and aim to emulate, and I hope you'll join me in encouraging Krista to continue to do what she's doing. The easiest way to support a winemaker is, of course, to buy their wines. So go to ZafaWines.com, that's Z-A-F-A Wines.com, to buy Krista's wines or join her Counterspell Club. And if you want to support this podcast, please tell your friends and fellow wine lovers about it. And go to Centraliswine.com, that's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S Wine.com, and purchase some of our organically grown handcrafted wines there. Thanks for listening.